Welcome to the Red Raven Games Podcast, episode 29. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm Brenna Asplund. And I'm Andrew Frick. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Great. Hello to all our listeners. Yeah. It's been a fun month for me. I really like the nice weather. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been getting really nice. Yeah, we had, in Utah. We had a snowstorm a couple oh, weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> but this week it's been quite lovely. Yeah, I agree. I went on a nice hike Monday night. That was really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Did you go anywhere nearby or? Just uh, kind of up in a uh, little cottonwood oh, yeah. canyon. Yeah, I think that's where my uh, parents that, live up That, that general area. area. Yeah. It wasn't a long hike. It was kind of a fairly short one, yeah. but still really pretty just looking out over the valley. Yeah, yeah. I used to, um, we often hike up, uh, there's like a reservoir up there, and like if you go for a few miles, there's like a big waterfall. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it's a beautiful place. Key, yeah. The key there is miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I used to do that. Uh, so, yeah, well, you know, we're going to actually jump right into the tip of the week. What? Yeah. <laughs> tip, 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 tip of the week. So, the tip of the week, actually, we're, we're going to have a quick discussion about rules and rule books. I thought it would be interesting. So, I'm going to ask you guys, and I'm going to try to answer it as well. What have you learned about rule books and writing rule books as we have worked on Near and Far, and any other games that we've worked on as well. Okay, yeah. What are some things you've noticed or some tips that you have for maybe people that are writing their own rule books? One of the things I've noticed uh, that, at least for us at our company, writing a rule book is a highly collaborative process. And it's like, and it benefits from being a collaborative process. Yeah, it has to be. It has I mean, to be. It's going to be, yeah. it's, you're going to have a bad rule book if it's not. You're never going to catch everything on your own. Yeah. And like sort of the process of how we wrote the rule book for Near and Far is I kind of wrote the original rough draft with some images thrown in and stuff. And then uh, Ryan took over after that and sort of made a sort of a big robust change to it. And then we kind of passed it all around the office making suggestions and changes here and there until the point where I think the final rule book that ended up in the game, like I was surprised by a couple of the little rule changes in there and I was unaware of them. Like when I looked at the final rule book, I was like, Oh, I didn't know that had changed. Even though technically you could say that I wrote the rule book initially, like by the time it was over, there was stuff in it that I didn't even, yeah, that I didn't even expect. Yeah. Now that rule book went through so many, changes it was like it, you know it was like a, a sausage by the end yes <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> went through the grinder many times <laughs> but it's good because having that many different eyes on it you can catch a lot more because if it's yeah. just you and you know your system really well and you're the only one writing it there's a lot of stuff you're going to assume that people will understand or you'll take as a given or it's a typo that you make a lot, so you've learned not to see it anymore. And so there's a lot of stuff that having a bunch of different eyes on the project will help you to catch a lot of mistakes and a lot of uh, clarifications that you may not have thought were needed. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's always hard, too, because it's like... you. It's a delicate balance, because if you're too specific, then the rule book becomes like unreadable (laughs) and it needs to be readable or else you can't learn from it like you need to be able to digest the information but you also need to be specific enough to clarify all of sort of the edges of the rules you know i remember when i was 
starting to write rule books for my games um, before I ha before I started Red Raven. This is for like prototypes, and I would say, you know, it, I remember writing them. It's like you pick up the die and then you move it over to the board and you place it down. And then using your hand, you pick up the cube <laughs> and you place it in your palm. And then, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It be so like, specific. Yeah. The things. And, but then if you, I guess you go the other way where you, you, assume, for you assume too yeah. much. Like you assume right. players are going to guess, uh, get too much. Like, well, of course, people that play lots of games are, they're going to, there are some shortcuts you can take, but you can't assume that everyone that reads the rule book knows all the shortcuts. That's a great point. And to kind of build on that, uh, years ago there was a deck builder that came out kind of in the first few years of deck building games, and it didn't explain how to do deck building. It just kind of deferred to common deck building mechanics. And just the rule do, book, Just do how the other ones Just work. do how the other ones work. <laughs> and, and it, it, it almost in as many words. And, and it was an unreadable, unplayable rule book for the... And it wasn't until they posted it online that they then had a playable thing. It was a complete rewrite and a redo because they're within, you know, those playtesting it and those involved in it, they all had a mentality where things were common knowledge or just assumed, you know, and yeah. and, and I think that's what you're trying to say too, Brenna. Like you were saying, more, the more eyes on it, um, even with like help from like Kickstarter contributors and things like that, you know, the allowing eyes on it to kind of go through it, uh, you know, it's that it's all those different perspectives who each see it with you know new eyes and can uh, understand it. But I would say even with all that, what I've learned in this process is you're still going to see it with all the. This is so clear. This is so hammered out. It's all the nuances are covered, and you still can miss things. Oh yeah. And that to me is like wow. I, you know, I'm coming coming from that outsider like. Play lots of games. I'm a consumer. I've read lots of rule books. I have kind of the, I can compare against all these other what's a good rules versus not a good rules or something like that. And yet, you know, even being part of that, you know, thinking I can pride myself. I've read lots of rule books. I'm going to be great at this. And you just there's so many things that are just so common. Now I would teach the rules in a demo, fine, yeah. but like just to catch a, the littlest nuance in a special case, it, it's just don't be afraid to read it, <laughs> read it. And reread and go through it and copy and edit that thing. I mean, maybe that's the, the, the takeaway I got is that you never can do it too many times. Yeah. Because every game, and, and it, it, this might give some comfort to some people out there, I don't think any game is going to come out of there perfect. Yeah. At the end of the day, even with a great rule book, and if you don't believe me, go look on Board Game Geek, and you're going to see that every game has lots of rules questions. Yeah. Even the best of the best of the best. You know, even fine combing that, you're still going to end up inevitably having things that need clarification. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of the opposite uh, side of that is that you can't read it too much, but also at some point you have to accept that there will probably be still some mistakes in there and just learn to let it go a little bit because you can't yeah. just you can't hold on to it forever. You can't kill yourself <laughs> over the fact that there was a small mistake that made it to print because. In any sort of human endeavor, that's sort of inevitable. You can do as much as you can to try to prevent it. Yeah. yeah. But 
it's gonna happen. You yeah. eventually gotta release those games. You gotta yeah, put you the gotta, game out. You you, it has, it's a balance. Because <laughs> yeah. Now here's the interesting thing. So I'm thinking back to the near and far rule develop rule book development, and as an estimate, we put in that rule book got um, around. I mean, over 150 hours of labor. It's probably closer to 200 hours Easily. of labor. And that's our team. That's not even other proofreaders that looked through it or did anything. That's the Red Raven four of us team. I'd, but we we put in easily two hundred hours. I'd estimate that I put in like eighty to a hundred hours alone <laughs> by on yourself. by <laughs> myself on the rough draft. Yeah. That's not even including all of the rewrites and the editing and the rereads that I did. Yeah, I, that's just the rough draft. Yeah, I spent weeks of. 50, 50 hour weeks on that book. Yeah, you know, I, it's, I'm probably underestimating how much time went into that room. Yeah, I, I think I think probably. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. So, but that's and, and then, that's, that's, that's the balance. Is, yeah, and that game has so much in the box that the the rule book has to be that big, and it was that complicated and that hard to get through. But yeah, so it's weird. It's sort of weird to think about it this way, but in any sort of creative endeavor. I think you have to keep in mind that it is still work and it does still take labor. Yeah. And I think there's some balance that you have to try to find in trying to put out the highest quality thing you can put in while still, you know, keeping the hours of labor reasonable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So <laughs> that's, that's sort of, that's the sadly realistic trade-off that you have to do sometimes when working in a creative field. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> Take take some comfort, I think, to anyone listening. You know, this is all something that, you know, everyone goes through and learns, you know. And, and look at any of your favorite publishers. You're going to notice that all of them started somewhere. And if you look at their beginnings uh, to their their current, you'll see there's always improvements in companies. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I th- – I don't know if this is a, a perfect answer, but I if you want to try to take yourself out of your own head – to try to get and, and get more information and get clarity and, and, and avoid more pitfalls, perhaps record yourself or someone teaching the game and go through and listen to those things because things you might take for granted to put on paper, you yeah. know, you're going to probably That's cover most idea. of those over the course of an explanation in a game, or at least it's it will be inferred and you'll pick up on those inferences. So yeah. It's also good. generally a good idea just for proofreading any writing in general to read out loud what you've written. To make sure that it uh, has sort of a natural flow. Sure. That's yeah. a really good way to make sure that uh, that a piece of writing is easy to read and understand is testing whether or not you can read it out loud without you know stumbling over words or getting mixed up in or the syntax. Sometimes like a double word in there, and your brain will just skip right over it, or like it'll be almost the right word, and you'll just miss it because your brain is just saying, "Yeah, that's it," you mm-hmm. know, and you just go right over it. And after you read through that rule book like ten times, you're like, <laughs> you're even it's more really prone to skip hard over things. To, to, to not skip stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if any of you have any book reports you need to have edited, <laughs> uh, just send them to Red Raven Games. It's the Red Raven proofreading <laughs> Proof- service. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's true that even with like, if you read a lot of novels or something. I've noticed typos in published books before, sure. and they oh, only yeah. do books. Yeah, you know, that's their whole job. A lot, yeah. But they still get typos through, so yeah. <laughs> it happens. It, it does. Right. Now, um, 
I was going to say, uh, oh, a couple other tips, you know, obviously for rule book writing, have people that don't know you or haven't played the game ever read the rule book. In fact, have many, many people do that. You can get people, you can ask for volunteers. People are willing to do it online. And, um, you know, and again, do that blind playtesting thing. It's the best where you can send somebody a box with the rule book in it and you're not there and they have to learn it from the book and play the whole game without you there and without you there to answer questions and see how well they do. So. Yeah, because it's true. Even someone who has not read the rule book before, just reading the rule book straight through, there's a lot more stuff they're going to miss than if they're trying to use the rule book to actively play the game. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot that you can catch there when you're trying to use the rule book for its intended purpose. You know? Yeah, totally. I agree. So, all right. Well, Andrew had an interesting question for us. Yeah. So I have a question. So I was looking at you know somewhere on our Twitter feed that somebody had posted a picture of like their their game closet or like the shelf, the red Raven game shelf. I'm looking at all these beautiful boxes, right? And all the beautiful colors. And I'm thinking, hmm, if we get a game with the color red for the box, what would be the theme? That there's we, no red, I guess. There's no red. Yeah, apparently we don't I have a game. I artifacts is almost red. It's, it's a reddish, reddish color. It's orange, a reddish, brownish, brownish orange thing. <laughs> Yeah. So what? So what? Red. Game, you're talking about what? Like yeah. What? Crimson. Like we had a crimson, like a red. Yeah. Like a red raven red. What kind of theme would would uh, we attribute to the red red raven game? Well, that's a good question because I can't think of one right now. Let me let me just brainstorm. <laughs> here. Well, okay. <laughs> so we talked in an episode of the podcast ages ago where someone there was a listener who had a question about the possibility of Ryan designing a superhero game. Oh, yeah. Mm. That, that sort of theme could be good with a red box. Like a red cape superhero? Kind sort of, of yeah. Like the like a lot of superhero designs, like especially the like classic superhero designs, are focused around those primary colors, you know? Yeah. yeah. So having a bright red could work well in a superhero genre. Yeah. Okay. They also say that looking at, if you see red, it makes you hungry. So mm. maybe this would be a food? restaurant or food Ooh, game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that could be good. And yeah. they'll get people to shop and they'll be right out of the door. It's effective marketing uh, right there. Yeah. A superhero <laughs> restaurant game. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay, I have one. Okay. I think a feudal, uh, feudal Japan game, but I, it would be red with like white accent or perhaps black. So either a red flag oh, with, like, black like white Japanese writing on the banner, or red with, like, white flower blossoms or something, like, in the air. and like yeah. So a very, like, I mean, because Japan is, like, white with the red with circle. The red. Yeah. So something along those lines. That'd be like, yeah. Oh, that would look so cool. cool. Could yeah. be. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. If anybody has any ideas, let us know on Twitter, at Red Raven Game. Yeah, maybe we'll do another uh, eight-minute game design around someone's suggestion. Yeah, that's true. That could be fun. Right, right. Well, this is going to be a short episode. We actually are out of time. Yeah. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, you can visit our website, redravengames.com. Follow us on Twitter, at redravengame. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brenna underscore Asplund. And you can um, ask Brenna about... Her awesome experience the last couple of weeks of Persona 5, they're on her Twitter. So I know she wants I know, to talk about it. I know. No. Earlier when Ryan said it's been a good month for him, I'm like, yeah, me too. I've been spending 
all of my free time playing Persona 5, so it's been a great month. <laughs> yeah, if you want to uh, follow me, uh, Andrew Frick one a uh, Twitter, or you can uh, uh, hit me up on Board Game Geek or add me as a geek buddy. It's Wisp Walker. That's W I S P Walker, like like a Walker from like Walker Texas Ranger, or like Walking Dead Walker. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> but yeah, cool, cool. We'd like to say thank you to Fluid Volt for the use of our theme song "Doggy Goes Moo" off the album Clay Memory. You can see more of their music on soundcloud.com slash fluidvolt. All right, everybody have a good week. Play lots of games. See you later. Take care. Nevermore. Nevermore.